The Mountain Vista Baptist Church podcast features the preaching and teaching of Pastor Robert Perry and the guest speakers of Mountain Vista Baptist. The purpose of this podcast is to help believers grow, to edify the saints, and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Tonight, let's return to Daniel chapter number 7. And of course, last week we got into the first part of Daniel 7 and... uh, uh, we said this is, of course, the ending of the chiasm that is uh, structured from ver- uh, chapters 2 through 7, and uh, it parallels that of chapter number 2 and the events that are found there, and uh, we'll talk more about what we discussed last week as we kind of review to begin things and then jump into the new uh, part that we'll be speaking of tonight, uh, but let's kick off by reading from the Word of God in Daniel 7 and read in verse number 7 with me and follow along as I read here in verse number 7. It says, and after this I saw in the night vision and behold a fourth beast dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly and it had great iron teeth it devoured and break in pieces and stampeded the the residue with the feet of it and it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it and it had ten horns i considered the horns and behold there came up among them another little horn before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of man, and a mouth speaking great things. I beheld till the the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like the pure wool. Uh, His throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire." Uh, A fiery steam uh, issued and came forth from uh, before him. Thousands and thousands ministered unto him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set, and the books were opened. I, I beheld then because of the voice of the great words which the horn spake, I beheld even till the beast was slain and his body destroyed and given to the burning flame. Uh, As concerning the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and time. I saw in the night vision, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that will all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. Our Father, we thank you for this evening, and again, an opportunity to hear from your word tonight. I I would ask that you just help us as we go through this portion of scripture to remain focused on you and who you are, and and, uh, of course, uh, what will unfold one day as uh, we know that you're in control of all things. Lord, give me the word to speak as I deliver this message tonight and uh, help us to hear from it, help us to know more about you because of it, uh, that you might be honored and glorified through not only tonight, but through our lives as well, and that your will might be accomplished. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Just as a little bit of recap, as jumping into chapter number seven, of course, we mentioned already that this is the ending of this this structure of the chiasm, uh, the parallels of chapter 2 and 7 and and 3 and 6 and 4 and 5 as we've gone along here uh, already. And just as way of remembering, uh, you see it on the screen there uh, for you to kind of see how all those fit together and the pieces that go along with it as well. Of course, uh, this final step, though, is a step back to the future almost, right? Uh, we, have, uh, we read in verse number one that this goes back now to the beginning of uh, Nebuchadnezzar's reign. And uh, we had already seen Nebuchadnezzar come and go, uh, Belshazzar take the throne of Babylon, Belshazzar being killed in his own uh, kingdom, in his own throne room, and the uh, kingdom of the Medes and the Persians taking place there, of course, with uh, with. Uh, with um, Darius in chapter number six. And so we're actually going back to events that kind of have already been covered or a time frame that has already been covered. But as we think of chapter number two, uh, we we were introduced to this this statue from the dream of Nebuchadnezzar. And we said then that it it detailed um, it detailed the uh, the beginning of the age of the Gentiles. And we said in order for us to understand that, that there was three characteristics uh, for us to realize that needed to be taking place for us to realize that that age is still in existence. One being the fact that it's a time for Israel to be scattered outside of their land. Number two, that their city Jerusalem 
will be under some type of Gentile dominion. It will not, it will not necessarily just be theirs uh, and theirs alone. And then thirdly, this age will continue until the Messiah's second coming. And it's at Christ's return or his millennial reign that the Jewish nation will be returned to its rightful place. And so we discussed those things in chapter 2. We revisited them as we jumped into the beginnings of this chapter of chapter number 7. And so we set the scene as we dove into this passage. And last week we considered the fact that God is sovereign over nations. And uh, we see that in the fact of how this corresponds with chapter number two. And as we are introduced to four beasts that represent the same four nations or kingdoms that that statue in chapter number two represented. And so let me have that next slide, if you would, please, Brother uh, Robert. And uh, just kind of corresponding there between the two, the vision of the statue and the vision of the beast there as well. Now, we only got through the first three beasts last week, if you remember correctly, if you were here or watched online with us. And uh, we said, of course, the first beast represented Babylon as, we, as the first or the beginning of the statue represented Babylon as well. Now, that beast was that of a lion with eagle's wings, and, and uh, it was, uh, of course, uh, that of Babylon. And, and the fact that the wings were plucked and, and different things about the beast uh, parallel and correspond, of course, with the events of chapter number two and the, the, the head of, of the statue and even what we read of happening to, Bel, uh, to, uh, to Nebuchadnezzar with him uh, losing his mind and, and being plucked away. You see what I'm saying? And so we discussed those things last week. And then, of course, uh, Daniel describes the second beast as a bear, and that bear was raised up on one side with three ribs in his mouth, and, and that symbol matched that of the history of the Medes and the Persians and the fact that it replaced the Babylonian Empire, the fact that the, the bear was raised on one side and the other, and the fact that this, this kingdom was made up of two two entities, Medes and Persians, but the Persians were, of course, a stronger uh, entity than that of the Medes, and so that represented by the fact that this bear was raised on one side. Of course, we spoke about the three nations that it would ultimately, the major nations that it would ultimately conquer in order to gain its power as well, represented by those, the three ribs in its mouth as well. And then, of course, Daniel goes on to describe a beast that, that was resembling a leopard, and, but this leopard had four heads and four wings. Now we said, of course, hindsight being 2020 and the fact that we can look back in the history that we can see how that represented the, uh, the period of where Alexander the Great and, and uh, the Greek Empire was in control after conquering the Medes and the Persians. And the fact that uh, the matter is, is that history even records and reports that Alexander the Great had looked to the book of Daniel as kind of his justification or, 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 or verification that he is the one to lead this group of people into total supremacy during that time. And he used the book of Daniel as his motivation or as his thrust to do so. Of course, we spoke about how when uh, Alexander the Great passed, he had no, uh, no heirs to take over his, his rule. And so the kingdom was divided up in the four different quadrants, as we would see represented by the four heads. And then the fact that it was divided, not just in the four quadrants, but by north, south, east, and west, more than likely represented by the four wings there as well. Now, with all that being said, we read even already this evening about this fourth beast. Now, we're going to talk more about that beast tonight, but we understand that uh, we believe it corresponds with that last segment of the statue from chapter number two as well. But before we get into any more details about this beast, as we said last week, God is sovereign over nations. But no, it's tonight, I want us to notice that God is sovereign over his kingdom. God is sovereign over his kingdom. And it's interesting to consider these thoughts as we get into tonight with all the events that are unfolding in our world today, in particular our own nation. And uh, let our hearts not be troubled by what we are seeing in the news and what we're hearing over the airwaves and seeing on social media and such because God is still in control and he's still, he's still sovereign. He's sovereign over nations as we see by these, but we, he's also sovereign over his kingdom as we see tonight. And we, we read this as we went in through uh, verse number 7 verse number four, uh, through verse number 14. But the first thing we notice about Daniel's description about this fourth beast is this, that, it ha that he has no ability to be able to describe it in the same manner as he described the first three. 
In the first three, he used uh, imagery of, be, of certain animals that we all would represent and such. And, and of course, he drew uh, this char- these characteristics from real life animals, the, that of a lion, that of, of course, an e- eagle or bear or leopard. But in the case of this fourth beast, there was no comparison possible. The Bible tells us as we read here in verse, uh, starting in verse number seven, that the beast was unlike anything else, that it was dreadful, that it was terrifying. Uh, that, uh, and it's this detail alone, in fact, that piques our interest. If you remember last week, we spoke about the fact that Daniel uh, doesn't give the first three beasts a whole lot of information or a whole lot of thought because as he's writing and as he's, of course, writing these things to be left for future generations, we understand those things would, be, would already be finished. And these are the events that are still yet to unfold. And after all, that's what we're most interested in anyway. Uh, because we want to know what's coming next. And we want to know what the Lord is up to and what will be accomplished. But nevertheless, uh, it's the fact that this, this beast is unlike anything imaginable or describable. The fact that uh, it is terrible and dreadful, it, 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 it piques our interest. And, and that's, of course, what God intended for it to do. It did so to Daniel, and it, it does so for us tonight as well. The Bible tells us that this creature was very strong, and it had iron teeth, and it's, uh, it trampled and crushed all the prior kingdoms. And as we've already discussed, this beast corresponds with that fourth kingdom in the statue. And as with every other beast before, several details confirm this interpretation tonight also. First, we said that this kingdom devours the others. And we understand how the Medes and the Persians took over, over the Babylonians. And then, of course, uh, that of Alexander the Great and the Greek Empire, that of the Medes and the Persians. And now this, this imperial alliance that we've discussed and spoken about in this fourth kingdom, it does the exact same thing as well. But not only that, but secondly, this beast has iron teeth as well, which would correspond with that last part of that statue, how it was made up and the materials that it was made up in. And then thirdly, consider the fact of what the Bible says about the horns of this beast. There are how many horns? Anybody want to take a step at it? There's 10 horns. There, it will end up be seven. He's, he's right about that because three will be destroyed and taken away. But it begins with 10 horns. And this statue of a man ends at the feet with how many toes? 10 toes. And so they, we see the correspondence and, and how they go together as well there. And so I think I have another slide just giving us maybe an artist's rendition of what this beast might look like. Something along those lines. I don't know. I would hate to see that in, the, in a dark alley somewhere. Uh, but nevertheless, we, we'll look at these horns uh, in greater detail as we go along through this chapter and just a little bit and probably even next week as well. But it, the, the fact that chapter 2, uh, the meaning of those ten toes weren't necessarily explained, the ten horns and therefore corresponding with the ten toes give, get greater detail in this chapter as we go along. Uh, speaking of the horns, we learned that among the ten horns, Suddenly an 11th one shows up and that horn was unique in that it had facial features as a man and was even able to speak. The Bible tells us it uttered great boasts, meaning that it would make audacious claims about itself, that it had power, it had strength, it had the ability uh, to do certain things and, and just audacious claims about itself and even did other violence to the other horns, uh, resulting in only seven remaining as it was already mentioned tonight. But I want you to look at verse number nine. Look what the Bible says in verse number 9. I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like the uh, pure, hair of his head like the pure wool. Uh, his throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels uh, as burning fire. And we find here that we begin to get a glimpse of who supersedes all of this we begin to get a glimpse of who ultimately is in control. And I said tonight that God is not only sovereign over nations, but he's sovereign over his kingdom as well. And we see that God is sovereign over his kingdom because of his internality and his purity. Notice not only verse number 9, but verse number 10. It says, A fiery steam issued and came forth from before him. Thousand thousands ministered unto him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set and the books were open. Once again, the details match the ending of, this, of the prophecy 
of the statue prophecy. In chapter number two, the statue was destroyed by the arrival of a stone. If you'll recall that, we, the, the, the dream had of Nebuchadnezzar had this statue and all the different levels and the different materials that it's made of. But out of nowhere in his dream, this stone that was uncut by human hands falls from the sky and completely obliterates uh, uh, the, uh, the statue. The rock there that was uh, being spoken of that destroyed the statue corresponds with what is being spoken of here. And we understand that ultimately this is uh, referring to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And of course, the statue itself represented the age of the Gentiles, as we've already said. And so we learn that the age of the Gentiles will end when the Lord returns to set up his kingdom here on this earth. I have another slide, if you'll throw that one up there, Brother Robert, for us. And so we have all this corresponding. We have Daniel 2, we have Daniel 7. Uh, they're the parallels in this chiasm. Uh, representing the age of the Gentiles and what all takes place. And Babylon, uh, represented by the head of gold and that lion figure or beast. The Medo-Persian Empire by the next level or silver. And uh, then, of course, that of the bear. And then the Greek Empire, that of the bronze and, and the leopard. And then this imperialistic alliances by this last beast and the iron turning to clay, ten horns, ten toes, and it ultimately is going to come to an end with the Lord establishing his millennial reign and, uh, and pretty much setting an end to all of these things that we're experiencing in our life even today. Now, we find similar, uh, 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 the fact that the dream of Nebuchadnezzar alluded to all of those things, and we see a similar pattern even here in Daniel's dream tonight. As we've already said, those four beasts representing the same four kingdoms of the age of the Gentiles. Now, verse number nine is the description of the beginning of the return of Christ and the setting up of his kingdom. But notice first off here in verse number nine that it tells us that uh, a throne is set up and that the ancient of days takes his seat. This ancient of days is a reference to God the Father here, of course, and he's taken his seat and we read even that there's going to be judgment that takes place. This is not God just sitting back in some lazy boy recliner and uh, for an afternoon rest. This is the Lord taking his rightful place as, as almighty judge, and he's preparing to pass judgment. This description of, uh, of these events and this judgment uh, is uh, similar to the description found in Revelation chapter number 1. That John gives us of the glorified Lord. If you'd like to take your Bibles and, and join with me looking at Re Revelation 1. And notice verses 13 and 14. Revelation chapter number 1 verses 13 and 14. It says, And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a, go a golden girdle, his head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. Though one description, the one in Daniel, describes that of God the Father, and the other description, that in Revelation 1, describes that of Jesus Christ the Son, uh, they're similar, the, the, the appearance that is mentioned are similar in both, and I believe that's purposeful as well. Uh, Jesus appeared to John in Revelation to explain what the events would be in bringing an end to the, this age. And Daniel is being revealed to, by a dream, to describe the very same thing as well. Therefore, these two moments, these two portions of scripture, these two instances are meant to, uh, they're, they're meant to be linked in our minds. This is what the Lord wants us to understand, that these two uh, portions of Scripture are speaking to the same event, and so hence the similar description of both members of the Godhead here. But around the, 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 the throne, the Bible tells us, is the court of heaven. We read here that the, there was thousand thousands ministering upon him, times, uh, ten thousand by ten thousand stood before him. More than likely, these are angels that are standing around his throne, worshiping and adoring him and honoring him for who he is. But the Bible tells us that his throne is ablaze, and it's a river of fire that flowed around him. And as a, he's attended by these thousands, whether they be angels or others. 
It then says at the end of verse number 10 that the book was opened, and that's, of course, a clear uh, reference to judgment, as we would even read in the book of Revelation being the same. But as the Father has sat down to judge, our attention is then drawn back to earth. Our attention is drawn back to earth where the Father's judgment is decreed. And we said God is sovereign because of his internality and his purity, but also, my friends, I believe that the Lord, that our God, is sovereign tonight over his kingdom because of his sentence and his patience. Notice in verses 10, I'm sorry, 11 and 12. In verses 11 and 12, it says, I beheld then, because of the voice of the great words which the horn spake, I beheld even till the beast was slain and his body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As concerning the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away. Yet their lives were prolonged for a season and time. First, the beast and his boasting horns, the Bible tells us, are, is slain and destroyed and given over to a judgment of fire. This, of course, is a direct result of the Father's judgment in heaven. This pattern of heavenly judgment, followed by earthly consequences, mirrors that of even what we read in Revelation as well. And we're seeing Daniel's vision is a preview of events that are described in the book of Revelation. In essence, you could say this, that Daniel chapter number 7 is a mini-revelation in and of itself because it is in maybe not as great detail as the entire book of Revelation, but it is giving us a glimpse into what would take place, describing the way uh, the heavenly judgments of tribulation result in earthly destruction. Furthermore, not only is the fourth beast destroyed, but so are the remnants of the early kingdoms or early beasts as well, uh, so that they are all taken away. Now, interestingly, interestingly enough, though, the Bible tells us in verse number 12 that before they are completely destroyed, their dominion is taken away and they're given some time. And uh, we'll discuss that next week some more even uh, as well. But uh, finally, the judgment comes against the Gentile kingdoms that rule during the age of the Gentiles, and a new kingdom arises. We've said tonight that God is sovereign over his kingdom because of his internality and his purity. That he's sovereign over his kingdom because of his sentence and his patience. But we get into verses 13 and 14, I believe that we see that God is sovereign over his, kingdoms, over his kingdom because of his man and his plan. Notice what we read in verses 13 and 14. And I saw in the night vision, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven, and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him, and there was given him dominion and glory, a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is everlasting dominion, an, an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that, uh, that which shall not be destroyed. As we continue on reading, this new kingdom begins with the Son of Man coming from the clouds of heaven. This, of course, as we've already mentioned, reminds us of that rock that comes from heaven and, this, and hits this, the feet or the last kingdom, that last part of the age of the Gentiles destroying it, that rock being Jesus. And Daniel says in verse number 13 that the Son of Man, if, if you may, is presented before his father or the Ancient of Days uh, before coming to earth and to begin his rule. Notice there in verse number 13, behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. It's interesting to note that verse number 13 is one simplified uh, example or definition of Revelations chapter 4 and chapter number 5. I want you to look at verse number 13 again. Let's consider what's being said there, and then we're going to go to Revelation 4 and Revelation 5 and compare the two. Verse number 13 again, it says, And I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven, and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Now, go to chapter 4 of Revelation, and pick up in verses 1, 2, and 3 real quick. Revelation 4, in verses 1, 2, and 3. Revelation 4, verses 1, 2, and 3. Verse number one, after this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which heard, I heard uh, was as were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. 
And immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on, sat on the throne. And he that sat uh, was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone, and uh, there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like uh, unto an emerald. Now look at chapter number 5, and look at verses 1 through 5. Chapter 5, verse 1, it says, And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written, wherein and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven, nor in earth, nor under the earth was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And then jump ahead to not, verse 9 uh, through verse number 12. And it says, And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nations. And hast made us, to, uh, made us unto our God kings and priests and uh, we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beast and the elders. And the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand and thousands of thousands. Saying with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb. That was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Notice the description of this scene that is found in chapters 4 and 5 of Revelation. And how it just perfectly correlates and, and matches that of verse number 13 and even into verse number 14. Thousands of angels attending to their heavenly father around the throne. And the son of God being present, presented before that throne and before the father to receive the right to judge the world. And to uh, finally granted his kingdom on earth to establish it. Having purchased the earth with his own blood. We find that Daniel is getting a glimpse of what would take place. And John was also given that opportunity to see these things in the final revelation that the Lord gave. And no doubt compare these descriptions with that of verse number 13 and verse number 14 here in Daniel that we've just read. All of the same features are present. Notice, there's people from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation serving Christ. We read that in verse number 13 and verse number 14, that there's languages that serve him in dominion. We read that again in chapter number 5 of Revelation. We find that the Son of Man is presented before the Father. We read that in verse number 13, and we've read that in those verses in, in Revelation as well. We read that the Son was granted dominion, and we read that not only in these verses in Daniel, but we read it in Revelation also. And that Christ's dominion and reign will last forever. And we find that in both, not only Daniel 7, but also in those verses in Revelation that we have discussed this evening. We find that Daniel is getting a dream and he's getting a vision of the ending of this age of the Gentiles. The, the Lord has given the opportunity for his people to be under dominion of a Gentile rule, Gentile leadership. It started with Babylon, and it hasn't, it hasn't since ceased. It has continued even to this day, and it will continue until the day the Lord returns. Now, we find that as we go on into this chapter, that the Bible, ta he talks about a time, and, uh, and a half a time, and, 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 and such, and it talks about, uh, uh, anyways, we'll, we'll get to it, into it next week. If you add it all up, which we'll talk about more, as I mentioned next week, equaling three and a half. And we, of course, will be able to see as we compare Scripture with Scripture, uh, the belief that that, of course, corresponds with three and a half years of the tribulation period. Later on into this book, we'll we will take some time to uh, dissect uh, Daniel's 70 weeks as well and what that means as far as prophecy is concerned as well. But nevertheless, we have to realize that as Daniel is receiving this vision and receiving this dream, and he didn't have all the answers yet, I want to invite you to go ahead and look at verse number 15. 
we're going to jump into that next week. But look at verse number 15. I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit in the midst of my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. I came near unto one of them that stood by and asked him the truth of all this. So he told me and made me know the interpretation of the things. Where Nebuchadnezzar was coming and asking Daniel for the interpretation, here's Daniel asking an angel for help for this interpretation. He didn't know what it was. He didn't quite understand it all the way, and the angel gives him some insight into all of this. And, and we pray that the Lord will allow us to have some insight into all of this as well as we go forward in, in discussing this, this portion of Scripture and the events that will unfold one day. But notice the reference in verse number 13. It says, one like the Son of Man. It's interesting to note that as we read in the New Testament and search through the Gospels, that as Jesus Christ referred to himself as Messiah, that one of his most used references to that was the term the Son of Man. In fact, uh, that's the title of our series through the book of Luke on Sunday nights that we've been in going through, as that's how Luke pictures him and describes him. And in fact, roughly around 30 times or so, give or take, in the book of Matthew, Jesus Christ is directly uh, referred to as the Son of Man. It seems as if Jesus is emphasizing that he was the fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy. He is, as Daniel finds in his vision that, hey, there's the Son of Man that stands before the Ancient of Days, the Heavenly Father. He stands before that, that judge, the righteous judge, and has given power to go back to the earth and to establish his own kingdom, a kingdom that will have no end, that will rule for all of eternity. And then Jesus, in his first coming, describing the fact that he is the Messiah and that he is the Son of Man that will come once again, bringing an end to the age of the Gentiles in which we are speaking of tonight. Jesus is the one uh, coming to end that fourth kingdom that we're discussing, that fourth kingdom in which that we are truly living in today. As we go through and we'll discuss the interpretation, we'll find that the reason why we're still living in that fourth kingdom is because the attributes of the fourth kingdom are not exactly the same of the, as the first three. And as we said, we want to stay faithful to the scripture. We want to stay true to what it states. We already read, if you want to jump ahead and look at verse number 17, the interpretation from the angel is that these great beasts, which are four, are four kings, which shall rise out of the earth. So there's no need to really guess as to what these four beasts represent. They represent kings, and after such, that of nations, of course, underneath those kings. And as I said last week, when it comes to symbolism in the Bible that we know have meanings, the best thing that we can do is look first in the context in which we're in. Well, here in this context, in the very same chapter, we find the information we need to be able to figure out who these beasts are. Even though we might not might have some questions still that weren't answered about the statue in chapter number two, we're able to use the context of the same book of the Bible to see how they match and how they go hand in hand as well. And so nevertheless, we find that Jesus is the one that has granted authority to end this age of the Gentile and that he is the one that has granted authority to rule over the world. So as we close tonight, let's recap. Let's consider what we've, cons we've learned thus far. To this point in Daniel's dream, we have seen a consistent parallel uh, between this chapter of chapter 7 and that of chapter number 2. The four beasts represent the same four kingdoms of the age of the Gentile as represented in chapter number 2 as well. We see this as we've outlined on the screen tonight. Uh, we have Daniel 2 and Daniel 7 represented by this, this statue. And, uh, of course, the, uh, uh, the four beasts representing four kingdoms. And it's a timeline that we are calling, of course, the age of the Gentiles. That final kingdom is different than the rest, as I've already mentioned. It possesses a unique final stage before it ever comes to an end. We read about Babylon and how that it would be quickly overthrown. And we can read in history and even in this book of Daniel how that well, one night, uh, Belshazzar is having a great feast, and he's having his, uh, a grand old time, thinking that his city is impenetrable, while at the very same time, the Medes and the Persians are already inside the walls. And they come in, and they take his life right there in his throne, uh, throne room. 
It fell suddenly, just as we read about the first beast falling suddenly. We read about the second beast and how it also had a quick end. And we, of course, spoken about how uh, that leopard with the four heads and the, and the four wings represented the conquest of Alexander the Great and how it took him only three months. I mean, history details this. Three months to be able to conquer all the land and the rule that he, he pretty much had, represented by the swiftness of a leopard. The division of his kingdom by the four heads and the four wings and north, south, east, west division of that as well. But when it comes to this fourth kingdom, there's something different about it in the fact that the ten toes represent the ending of it. The ten horns represent the ending of it. And there's an eleventh as well. Now, I don't want to jump ahead of myself and, 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 and you know, speak too much about what we're going to cover next week as to, to bore us with going over the same thing over and over and over again. But we've got to come to some conclusion as to what these ten mean before we can recognize when this end of the age is going to come. Of course, it will end when Jesus comes during the second coming, which prophecy, if we follow biblically, I believe, uh, will have to take place after the rapture. The rapture is imminent, meaning we don't know the time. Whereas after the rapture has taken place and the tribulation period has happened, we know that the second coming of Christ will be within that se next seven years. And so we find those different things. And when you, have, when you read throughout Scripture and you have questions about, well, well, I read this, and it seems like it could indicate that we could know. And, but then we say, read here that it indicates that we can't know. Well, we have to differentiate the, 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 the two different events. The rapture and the second coming are not the same thing. The first time Jesus came, he came into this earth, born in a manger, to die on the cross, to eventually ascend back to heaven. When, he, when we see him coming anywhere near the physical earth again, he comes in the clouds, never touching down again, and calls, back his, calls up his people. When he comes and touches down, if you want to put it that way, on earth again, it, that's his second coming. That's when he'll, he'll start his millennial reign. That is what is being referenced here as the end of the age of the Gentiles here in Daniel chapter 7 and with the destruction of that fourth beast. Now, there have been some, the reason why we don't, I haven't put on here that the fourth kingdom being that of Rome, well, the Rome in essence, or ancient Rome as we know it, the Holy Roman Empire, isn't around any longer. So if that's the last kingdom, then that means that we would have to be living in the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. God help us if that's where we're at right now on this earth. But we know we're not. Because we know the events of that millennial reign. It's going to be a time of peace. We're definitely not experiencing it. So nevertheless, we, have to, we realize that, well, it can't be just Rome. So there's got to be more to it. Those who would consider it to be the Holy Roman Empire would then have say, well, there had to be, it would come to an end after a reign of ten consecutive uh, you know, Roman Caesars. Again, we can't, it doesn't fit. We have to twist Scripture. We have to force that into the parameters that Scripture has given us for that to take place. And I'll discuss that more in detail even next week, uh, but we understand that just simply cannot be the case. But we've, even though we have, we've, we've seen this symbol of ten um, in the statue in chapter number two, we weren't given much detail about those things. We've spoken a little bit more about those ten already and given even greater detail in the fact that an eleventh one comes. Why wasn't the ten discussed so much back in chapter number ten? Well, just one thought is let's look at what was in chapter number, I'm sorry, two. I said chapter number ten, I think. In chapter number two, what was represented in chapter number two? A statue of a man ending with the toes Ten toes is normal, eleven is not, okay? And so maybe that's why we didn't get as much information in chapter number two about what the ending of this age looked like. It makes a whole lot more sense to have eleven horns than it does eleven toes, all right? And so, but nevertheless, the Lord has given us more information here. We've already found out some more than we already did in chapter number two, as we've seen this eleven horn eleventh horn added. Uh, but all of these things accompany a brief period of intense judgment that is poured out from God uh, in heaven against this fourth kingdom, as we've read in verses 13 and 14. Obviously, we have not answered all of the questions here tonight. There are still plenty of questions to be answered. 
And Daniel even feels that same way. Like, because as we've already looked at verse number 16 and verse number 15, he asks, what is all this? I'm grieved in my, in my, uh, in, in my spirits and in my body and these visions of my head, they're troubling me. And uh, of course, we see what he does next as he calls out and asks for an interpretation. And we're going to learn what this interpretation is, but we're going to learn it next week again. And uh, because we're going to have to just stop for the sake of time tonight. But I do pray that, that as we have discussed last week and as we've considered tonight, and as again, no doubt we'll consider next week as well, that God is in control, that he is sovereign over nations, and we see that in how he brought the Babylonian Empire, and then the Medo-Persian Empire, and then the Greek Empire, and then of course the starting of this fourth empire of the uh, imperialistic alliances, beginning with that of Rome, of course, and, and uh, what we are even experiencing today you might ask the question, why did God choose to do it that way? I have an answer for you. You ready for it? No, I'm going to tell you right now. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and if I were to try to fit an answer to that, I would either, one, be wrong, or two, I'd have to be God. Does that make sense tonight? His ways are higher than our ways and thoughts, than our thoughts. And if I knew everything that God knew, I don't need a God. If I was able to figure it all out on my own, then I don't need faith in Him to rely on Him through these situations. As we ask ourselves the questions of why are we experiencing the things we're experiencing in our world today, let us not lose sight of, I'm sure there were people in, in the Jewish community of that day that asked themselves the same question. God, why is this happening? At least we're still in our homes. The Jewish people had been totally stripped away from everything they knew. And God was in control of that. Why does he accomplish it this way? I don't know. I know that it's all part of his grand scheme and his grand master plan of, of the redemption of mankind. But I can't give you a specific, well, this is the good that came out of it, all, every bit of it. You know what I'm saying? Like we can look back and see some good definitely that came out of it. Good that came out of it is the fact that Daniel wrote this book underneath the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And just as it comforted the Jewish reader in those days as they were experiencing these events, the fact that, hey, God took care of their enemies, even though they, he allowed them to stay under Gentile rule, he took care of them, their enemies, and took care of them through the midst of it. We can also look back and say, God is, was in control then, he's still in control now. Can I pinpoint every little thing? Not, not at all. But I can say that I can see without a shadow of a doubt that God is in control. And he's working his plan. He's sovereign over nations as he has put in and taken away these four kingdoms. He's also, also sovereign over his kingdom because he's sovereign in the fact that he's eternal and that he's pure. He's sovereign in the fact that he, is, uh, he has a righteous sentence and his patience is perfect. He's sovereign in, over his kingdom in the fact that he has the right man and the right plan to accomplish his work in his son Jesus Christ when he would send them to be the redeemer of all mankind God's in control let not your heart be troubled for he's still got everything in his grasp our father we do thank you tonight for this opportunity to hear from your word and I would ask now that you just help us to to trust you and to rely on you in these situations and in these circumstances that we're experiencing and the Lord as we uh, have questions about why and and I don't understand this, uh, that we would be able to say in our hearts and in our lives and our minds that, you know what, I might have a question of why, and I might sometimes wonder, and I might say, man, I don't like this at all. Sometimes we might even want to fight against it. But ultimately, Lord, help us to just rest and rely in faith in you, that you know what's best, and that you are in control, and that you are sovereign over the nations of this world. You're sovereign ultimately over your kingdom. And when it will rule and reign and, 
and when we will be in your presence for all of eternity. God, I don't know who else besides me needs to, needs to hear this tonight. But Lord, if it was just me, it was worth the study. It was worth the time. It was worth us gathering tonight to be able to, to consider your goodness and that you are in control. Lord, every time we come to your word, help us to remember that you are almighty and that you're in control. Help us to learn something new about you that we didn't know before. Help us to be reminded of something that maybe we had forgotten or, or taken our eyes off of. Lord, help, that, that, help the word, help your, help your word to be that, that mirror that sheds the, uh, the image of you to us to see what we ought to be, that we might be able to reflect you and uh, that we might be able to grow closer to you as we submit ourselves to your spirit. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. And even though we're not deserving, and the fact that you love us and that you provide for us. God, we ask now that you just help us to take this lesson from your word and apply it to our lives. Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you have a prayer request that you've not yet turned in, if you'll hold it up high, and uh, Brother Wilhelm's in the back, he'll grab it real quick. And Quint, why don't you go ahead and just hand that to me, sir, while he's going back over that way. And thank you for that. And then he's grabbing that last one. We're going to bring the rest of them up here as well. And uh, I hope that you would uh, jot these down and uh, remember them in your prayers as not only tonight, but also as we move on throughout the rest of this week as well. Thank you, Brother Wilhelm. Uh, a couple that I, uh, I don't know, I haven't read these yet, and they might be mentioned again, but uh, I spoke with Miss Mona this afternoon, and, and just be in prayer for Brother Jerry. Uh, he's got an appointment tomorrow, actually, uh, for uh, different things in his life. He's been having a lot of balance issues recently. Uh, when he gets up in the morning and such, he, uh, he you know, doesn't always able to get from place to place without help, and and uh, been very uh, concerning for Miss Mona. So please be in prayer for Brother Jerry. Uh, for his breathing and for the, that balance issue as well. I talked to Brother Don today as well, and Miss Joey has been having some blood sugar issues. and uh, So just continue to pray for her health also. Now, these have been submitted tonight, and I hope that you'll jot them down and that you make them a matter of prayer this evening also, please. Uh, Brother Quinton is asking prayer tonight for his brother. He put little brother. Uh, if you know his brother, though, uh, I don't know if that's a good uh, definition, of it, you know, but uh, his brother Kyle, just an unspoken, a uh, younger brother, that, that would be a better way, but his uh, younger brother uh, Kyle, an unspoken request there, and so please remember Kyle in your prayers tonight. Miss Tana is asking a prayer for a blood test results that will be coming in, and uh, for Levi for an earache as well, and so be in prayer for those two requests. Miss Sue is asking a prayer, early morning kidney specialist appointment. Uh, let's see, it read the, read it, so, it's in Tucson, it's tomorrow morning, okay, so be in prayer for those travels, she'll get some, in my writing, you're, you're saying you'll get some info from the test in, that you had in November, okay, all right, and so she'll be getting some information from some tests that were made uh, back in November, just be in prayer for the early travels and for safety, and for good news from those tests as well. Uh, of course, uh, I think, Miss Juanita, you mentioned last week, if I'm not mistaken, but uh, Miss Sue is asking prayer, or praise actually, uh, her granddaughter being pregnant. And so just be in prayer for that and that everything will go smoothly with the delivery and the pregnancy as well. Miss Beverly is asking prayer for her friend Sydney, uh, Cindy, I'm sorry, uh, who is having a biopsy. Uh, be, pray to that there's nothing serious taking place there. And so be in prayer for her friend. Cindy. Uh, Brother Brandon is asking uh, prayer uh, for uh, job issues. Uh, he says he's probably going to have to be leaving his job because of scheduling conflicts, so he needs wisdom on what to do next. Also wisdom and uh, blessings as, he, as he's able to fix his truck tomorrow. So you got some issues with your truck? All right, we'll pray that that will be able to be a quick fix and an easy remedy. And so be in prayer for both of those situations for Brother Brandon. Miss Flora is asking prayer tonight for her sister Pauletta and uh, all the family as well after the passing of her brother-in-law. Uh, her sister has Alzheimer's, and so be in prayer for that situation as well. Uh, her cousin Donna, whose grandson died suddenly today as well, so be in prayer for uh, Donna and, that, and the family there. And then for uh, uh, the Woods, uh, Alicia's father Aubrey, uh, he, he spent the night in the hospital and uh, so he has to come home with oxygen, it looks like. So be in prayer for those requests. 
So the family, uh, specifically her sister Pauletta, and uh, for the uh, passing of her, bro- of, uh, of her husband, her brother-in-law, Miss Flora's bro- brother-in-law, uh, the Alzheimer's, and then, of course, the cousin Donna, and the passing of her, her uh, grandson, uh, who died suddenly today, and then for Aubrey Key as well. Miss Deanne is asking prayer uh, for uh, her mother and uh, for the eye disease, uh, for the treatment to work. Pressure is high, as she says. Uh, she'll, she still has a specialist appointment that's going to take place tomorrow. So pray for answers there and for help through that. Strength also for those in the medical field, hospitals, ER, especially those who are working with COVID cases. And just be in prayer for all those things. Be in prayer for our country. Be in prayer for uh, those that lead our country. Yeah, regardless of their views and how we see them also or whether or not we up, uh, uh, agree with them. Uh, we need, uh, I think what we're seeing is the fact that nothing is going to fix the problem uh, except for Jesus. And uh, it's not going to be in the political field. We as a church have to be that light and we've got to reach more folks uh, for him and, uh, and, and teach them from the word of God that we might have a biblical uh, worldview instead of that of a worldly or secular uh, demonic worldview and uh, regardless of who we might think has a, a a christian attitude or spirit even in those places uh that's not going to be the, the answer it's jesus christ in the hearts and, and lives of those who need him most that's going to be the answer so be in prayer for those things as well uh, so thankful that you're here tonight and i uh, pray that uh, you're safe as you travel home and uh, of course uh, fellowship and interact and mingle with one another be in prayer for those who have not been around recently because of uh, the desire to to be safe and cur- uh, and concerned about the issues that we're experiencing for health and everything as well and, and you might think of reaching out to some of them as uh, they have chosen to maybe isolate themselves for uh, their own safety and they believe that's the best for them uh, but to know that somebody still is thinking about them and loving them and caring about them and uh, just maybe maybe a, a phone call or a text or even a letter might be a help there as well. But let's go to the Lord in prayer. Find yourself a prayer partner if you'd like. Let's pray for as long as, or as little, for as little as you'd like tonight. And then as you're finished, we'll be dismissed. And just be courteous of those who are still praying after you're done praying and dismissed as well. All right? Here, uh, we'll be dismissed after prayer. Thank you.